0: Moving up, moving out, moving along. Where are you headed next? I'm Christy Cassidy, your host and the creator of Moving Along, a podcast about travel, relocation, and life transitions. Listen in to real-life stories as we explore moving along and what it takes to make your life a positive new adventure. Deborah Sundahl is a sex educator who has spent her adult life working with women and couples to fulfill and enhance their sex lives. She is the author of Female Ejaculation and the G-Spot. And I think it's been through two editions published by Hunter House it has been continuously in print since it was first published. What about 10 years ago?
1: 2004.
0: 2004. Almost 20 years, Almost 20 years since Female Ejaculation and the G Spot came out. That is amazing. Plus, she is a producer and star of numerous. DVDs, videos for women and couples to discover their G spot, discover the power of amazing female orgasm. And now she travels around Europe six months a year teaching women and couples in person how to find fulfillment in their sex lives. Welcome, Deborah Sundahl. Thank you for joining us here at Moving Along today. This is the first time we've done in-person interviews since, well, since before the pandemic. Nobody was doing in-person, and here we are doing in-person.
1: Thank you, Christy. I'm I'm thrilled to be here with you.
0: Yeah, it's fun, isn't it? Because
1: we know each other really well. It's fun to do this.
0: It is. yeah, at
1: your office here in person. Yes, as you said, after the pandemic. great fun.
0: Okay. So Deborah, you just got back from six months in Europe teaching sexuality workshops. Well, the pandemic has kept you away from Europe for a couple of years now. That's so this true. is your first stint back you went back for 6 months to scandinavia and europe doing mm-hmm. workshops and you teach teachers as well as uh, women and couples right that yes mm-hmm. we'll talk about your workshops how do you how do you set them up how does it work where do you hold
1: them you know i have organizers in europe who in each country find the retreat places and Have a list of people that they contact and sign them up. Retreat places are residential, not always, but often in Europe. And they're usually very pretty places. The one we had in France is in the countryside,
0: the South French countryside. Do you speak French? Do you do the workshops in French when you're in France? I have
1: translators. That helps. Yes, it does. (laughs) Swedish? Dutch, German, French, Polish, Hungarian
0: translators. Wow. And you were you were in Lisbon this year too, right? And I had
1: a Portuguese translator. No, actually that was all English speaking. Oh. And the Portuguese, especially in Lisbon, are not going to be surprised when I say that. Yes. A lot of English people have moved into Portugal, and
0: so there you have that. Were your were your workshop people in how do you say it? Portugal, not Portugal like we do here? Portugal, Portugal. Were they mostly Americans or English English from the UK? Or there were some Americans
1: there and some English people. And you did one in Spain
0: this year too.
1: No, not this year in Spain. Next year, I get to go to Spain for the very first time. Oh, nice. Mostly I've been
0: north of a line that was north of Italy. And how many workshops do you do on average? Over the course of six months, you do like one a week or?
1: About six of them in a two-month period. So not quite one every weekend. They're three to four days long over oh, the wow. weekend
0: oh so, so these these are weekend getaway workshops they are yes and we
1: have made them more fun by opening up the workshop to in one case a tantra body work in another Taoist sexual energy work in another breath work and in another striptease
0: strip tease that's part of the workshop yeah the
1: women love that so this addition helps to have more fun with the workshop to relax a little bit it's also very integrating each one of those things
0: what Um, do you mean by integrating
1: that is a workshop term for getting a lot of information which you have to integrate not only into your body but into your psyche Usually that can happen in stages and levels. So it could be overnight or it could be, you know, months from now. Because this work is about the body. We work on the body. I don't just talk about it. Women work on their own body. Couples work, of course, in their co- We practice locating the G-spot. What does it look like? You can see it. You can see it. And it's the female prostate. It surrounds the urethra, starts at the outside opening of the body. So you can see that because it hangs down through the roof of the vagina.
0: So tell me, what is a typical workshop? How does it work? How many people do you usually have? Between 15 and 20. And so you start on a Friday afternoon and Mm -hmm. say, welcome. Welcome. Take off your pants? No, actually, no. I have a
1: 90 minute PowerPoint, and that is where people get to know me. They sit in a group, they get comfortable with their environment and the people around them while they hear fantastic information that makes them very interested and excited. So that's the icebreaker. Then there's dinner. We usually start about 4. Dinner is very late in Europe, so we usually start, I don't know, 5. We're done at 6.30. We have dinner at 7. And then often at 8.30 to 10, these workshops go late. There's body work. So perhaps massage. Another teacher comes in and teaches soothing exercises.
0: So that's like a little bonus. Oh, by the way, you also get a massage.
1: I think so. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'd call it a bonus for sure.
0: Do they get homework?
1: (laughs) No, because the women practice that in a group.
0: Oh, does that start the next morning?
1: (laughs) Yes, it does. Fresh, fresh right out of bed after breakfast.
0: Here we go. See your G-spot. Do you give them speculums or? no you can see it with your mirrors or mirrors they the each mirror. get a mirror mm-hmm. let's spread them ladies let's take a look that's right a mirror and oil and oil and okay a flashlight and a flashlight okay although
1: if it's a morning and the rooms you, usually these rooms have windows you don't need the flashlight you have the light
0: of day so what are some of the reactions from your workshop participants?
1: The reactions are, you know, pretty profound. How can I be a mother of three and be 45 years old and not know I have a prostate in my body that I can see? Or there'll be tears of relief because they thought something was wrong with their vulva. This is more common than you might think. I'm here to tell every woman in the world, nothing is wrong with your vulva. It is beautiful and unique, and you just need to spend time with her. Self-care, beauty care, make friends. So it's really,
0: really quite lovely. Would you say half of the workshops you do are with women only and half are with couples, or how does that work? The majority is women,
1: 85%. I don't do that that many couples' workshops.
0: Because there's less interest, or...? I think the organizers,
1: I don't really know, just kind of focus on the women. Now and then, there seems to be a need for a couple's one. And so someone will organize that.
0: So they spend the first full day of the workshop actually taking a look inside at their bodies, at their G spots, right? Or you call it the prostate. It seems to me that the prostate is such. Oh, it's owned by men because there's only one thing that's a prostate, but you claim female prostate for women, right? Yes. Mm-hmm.
1: And how did you come to that conclusion? Dr. Milan Vicek is Bratislava University did a 20 year study, a cellular study of the female prostate. And his book is published full of dozens of colored pictures of the cellular structure of the female prostate. And in fact, the name of his book is called The Female Prostate. And the subtitle is From Vestigial Skeen's Periurethral Ducts and Glands to Woman's Fully Functional Prostate.
0: Oh my.
1: No, <laughs> uh, if that isn't a banner slogan, I don't know what is. So that was a statement and he made it right on the cover. And then he shows the female prostate. That was a wax model done in the year 1945 by Huffman. He put that on the cover. So there's a wonderful history on the female prostate, which I actually have talked about for you know, going on 20 years. Last winter, I decided to read up on these people a little deeper that I've been talking about for so long. And I was absolutely fascinated. I found their pictures. I've inserted their pictures into the PowerPoint. And now I know a little bit about their history, like Rignard de Graf, it turned out he was doing astonishing things, new things, He knew about the female prostate and he knew about female ejaculation. His quote is, in lusty women flows out at the sight of a handsome man. And you see his picture. He's this handsome man, you know. And, And when I read about him, he was happily married. He had many children. They were young. I just felt like the house was overflowing with happiness and ejaculate and probably everything he knew about it was from his wife. He just got this wonderful effervescent, you know, and then 200 years later, you got Alexander Skeen, the heavyweight Victorian who comes in and lays a cold blanket on everything I mean, and says no, there's no prostate. It's just two glands that sometimes become obstructed.
0: Wait, so was the first one you mentioned? Is that Graftenberg or de Is that's the name? De That's how the G spot got its name. No,
1: not from because he's from de Graff is Dutch Graftenberg, did,
0: Graftenberg was in the year 1930, after skiing. So, in between the lusty lady and the yes. Gratzenberg, the G spot, as we know at the modern day G spot, we have the big Victorian wet blanket.
1: Right? We totally do. We took a deep dive downward <laughs> into obscurity. Absolutely.
0: So, do you think that women in Victorian times didn't have as much fun?
1: I kind of think they did. Under the wet don't... blankets?
0: <laughs> I don't really know,
1: actually. I know they developed the vibrator then in Victorian times. I think Freud and was, you know, they were handing them out, saying you probably need some of this for the hysteria.
0: <laughs> I forgot about the hysteria. <laughs> oh, I I love that. This is kind of our history. As we take for granted, you know, sex shops and lube and dildos of every size and bringing us right back to your workshops, which are pretty radical in their own right. But I'm going to pivot back for a second and say you've been a radical sex educator from the beginning, from all of your adult life. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Well... Right out
1: of college, University of Minnesota, where I studied women's studies, that's the history of women, not only the history, but women's studies looks at every aspect of life and talks about women's contributions there, which in 1982 was new news to a culture that was really male-dominated. Just remember that in 1982, there was maybe two doctors that were female. Okay. They did not exist.
0: Not like they do now. Exactly. That's exactly
1: the changes have been amazing in two generations. So,
0: well, on the heels of the second wave of feminism, right, in the 70s. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. And when I finished, I was like, well, nothing's going on in sex. With women, there's Playboy, and that's it. Where's the women's magazines? So we created a, a magazine with many other wonderful ladies from San Francisco.
0: It was quite notorious on our backs, right?
1: Well, it's, it's really not notorious, I think, not for a general population,
0: <laughs> right? You don't think it was... <laughs> It was notorious at the time, I think. At the
1: time, it was more than underground. Right.
0: And now, so many years later, the archives of that magazine are at Cornell University and the Human Sexuality Archive. That must make you feel pretty proud. Yes, it
1: does. It's quite amazing. And that's a huge archive of sexuality material, most of it from the 60s, 70s, and 80s and 90s, when it was really gay men on the forefront of that sexuality movement. Lesbians were, we were influenced by the gay movement for sure, as women coming out and supported by them, understood by them.
0: Influenced, and would you say to a certain extent, inspired? They took sex out of the
1: closet and they made it public and they made it sexy. Mm-hmm. I mean, men were not sexy.
0: Right? <laughs> well, I gay never thought. Weren't. so. Much. Yeah. Well,
1: <laughs> well, they weren't didn't have too much to offer straight women either. <laughs> you know, as gay men looks where they were sexy. They got in touch with their sexual chakra and let it rip was really nice (laughs) they expressed it it just wasn't some act in the dark no Mm -hmm. they gave it a lot of expression from costumes to parties to political articles and journals that were top-notch they broadened the topic of sexuality tremendously and they really did set the standard which we as lesbian women creating our magazine were more than happy to follow in their footsteps in that way. And so we too created images that had never existed before in modern times.
0: And they were sexy, that's for they sure. They were sexy. <laughs> and so were
1: the butches in there. They were sexy too. Yeah. <laughs> we were really getting off on this on our backs, sexuality.
0: Well, I was going to say the next thing, you know, and then we come to AIDS. And I think a lot changed then. No matter what kind of sex you were into, whether you're straight or gay, the whole world changed with AIDS, it seems like to me. But you were in the thick of it in the world of sexuality. We were in the
1: thick of it with the magazine because the magazine was just getting started. It was going on year two. We started in 84 and I think 86 AIDS really hit. So we barely got out the gate and we're like, this is going to shut down our entire effort here to make sex public, to make it positive, sex positive, you know, to have people talk about it and engage with sex, meaning, you know, have sex parties if you want. Explore, experiment. It's okay. You learn so much doing that about yourself and about others and you learn sexual tolerance. You might not like that, but others do. And what you'd like, others might not like, but you just learn tolerance. There's just incredibly rich, fertile ground there. So what we came up with, to was safe sex. And, of course, the CDC wasn't talking about lesbians and safe sex.
0: Because lesbians didn't exist. <laughs> and Which they certainly... was sexual
1: beings. So exactly. we, we came up with everything. We got the dental dams and did all this. I remember we did a strip show once. And I danced to a song and passed out dental dams. I mean, you know, we did promo around it, too. <laughs> when... That's great. It was, it was a, I mean, there was a lot going on there.
0: Honor Becks was very influential oh. to the whole lesbian community and your role in it in promoting safe sex and the videos and magazine while you're at it. Right. right. But it sounds to me like from what you're saying is that was really a formative way of thinking about Sex and learning about sex, learning about sexual pleasure. And it sounds to me like that's still your credo, if you will, your basic belief is like, yes, do it in groups. Yes, learn by doing. That's the only way you're really going to do it. And that it's still a fundamental part of your workshops.
1: Yes, indeed. And let's add communication to the list that you just said communicate how to tell your partner what you want first of all you got to know what you want number two that takes some work and then how do you communicate it how do you get those needs met and that brings in consensuality which of course now you know is a big deal with me too movement But the fact of the matter is that the the gay S&M community in San Francisco had, were the very first people who had drawn up consensual rules for S&M play. Nobody knows that history, but we knew it at On Our Backs. We were completely influenced by that. It's just, it's sex is consensual and you have rules and you have safe words. And if somebody says a safe word, you stop. Period. You don't mess around with that. So, this is how I was schooled. You know, I was schooled by the gay community who were also doing SM. They were doing it all, drag, everything. And that's the lesbians followed in the footsteps. We did SM, we did drag, we did you name it, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Swinging.
0: All of it, droop teas. Somewhere along the line, you got very interested in female ejaculation. Although I think it's always been there, because some of your earliest videos, the sex, the sexy lesbian videos, have some wonderful shots. If I could be so punny, there, making a pun, but. You've always promoted female ejaculation as a wonderful sexual experience and showed it to women who were watching these videos. Yes, that's
1: true. And that whole time period there from 84 to 94 was just a sexual experiment and creating new images of women being sexual. So the ejaculation was just one of many other images. But it was there initially with everything else. Yeah.
0: You started writing Female Ejaculation and the G-Spot. 2004. That's when it was published. The book. Yeah, but you started writing it before that. Only 2002, really. Oh, pretty good. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of a passion project to write that book. It was. It was also a transition project because...
1: I stopped being involved in the magazine in 1994. My book came out 10 years after that. And what was the life transition happening in between? It was midlife crisis, (laughs) age 40. Oh, what am I going to do now? Maybe I, of all those things we did in On Our Backs, maybe what's so the one I want to focus on in this G-spot that sounds like a good, I think the G, it was a bet I took with myself. I bet the G spot has some life in it <laughs> to take me
0: another 20 years.
1: And it did. Mm-hmm. Definitely.
0: So you wrote the book. Mm-hmm. You did more videos. You did female ejaculation for couples. Yes. You did how to female ejaculate first, right? Came first. Mm-hmm. Then
1: it did tantric journey to female ejaculation mm-hmm. that came after that and then female ejaculation for couples and then female ejaculation the workshop which was shot in paris and edited in paris but all with parisian crew team and And the translator and and the book publisher he translated my book and he made the video
0: do you think that's part of why the workshops are still are perennially i should say popular in france because the book exists in in french and there's a french connection if you will
1: oh you know it's the powerpoint lectures that keep everything alive you know you have to I mean, I wrote the book, and then I'm like, "Oh my, I gotta sell this. How in the world am I gonna do that?" Never occurred to me that's the large part of a book is the marketing. So I came up with the PowerPoint idea. I put on a business suit. I got the PowerPoint in my briefcase. And I went to these little erotic boutiques that were owned by and for women.
0: This was in the United States at the time.
1: In, no, in Europe
0: too. Oh, in Europe too. Every
1: major city in the Western world had a women's erotic boutique. They carried only the quality sex toys and still do. And information like books, etc. And their ethics were to have educational courses in the
0: evening. So you saw an opening there. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, <laughs> all the double entendres here. <laughs> but Well, that's your brain. <laughs> that's my brain. You saw a business opportunity to sell your book and your videos. Yes,
1: us, absolutely. Through the PowerPoint,
0: through the women's erotic stores. That's how I got my start.
1: Just went to them.
0: And so you went around the US, but you also went around Europe. I mean, that seems to me to be a leap that some people would be, especially women traveling alone, might feel a little nervous about. It walking into a retail store with a PowerPoint and saying, here I am. <laughs> <laughs> and you're going to learn about your prostate. Hello. <laughs> did they welcome you with open arms? Did I mean, did you have any obstacles along the way? Well,
1: not really. No, I got on a plane with 40 bucks to my name. I got on that plane and went to London. Because the store over there had asked me to come over.
0: $40 in your pocket? Mm -hmm.
1: Well, even by the year 2004, you still weren't making a lot of money as a sex educator. If you had a big porn company, yeah, you were a millionaire running around. But that's not what I was doing. You know, I wasn't there doing Hollywood entertainment. In fantasy fulfillment, I was really dealing with what people are really doing in their bedrooms, and you
0: don't make a lot of money doing that. Did you call yourself a feminist porn company or feminist sex education? I don't know if I ever
1: liked the word porn, but the sex education only came out with my book, 2004, really that you could Google sex education for adults and you would never find anything. That word hardly existed. Now, a generation later, there's many, many, many sex educators now. Okay, but that did not exist when I went out with my PowerPoint in a business suit to make a political point that, hey, I don't need to wear a slit up to my derriere and my boobs out to make a point about sex. No, I'm going to do this really like a teacher. Classy. That's right. That went over just fine. Did you present it as feminist? I told people I was a feminist. Absolutely.
0: Did they perceive your PowerPoint, your educational focus as feminist? No, because
1: my focus was the general... Population of heterosexuals at that time who were completely unserved.
0: Lesbians had
1: something. Straight women had nothing.
0: (laughs) It didn't occur to me, but no, wasn't there some playgirl, right? Well, by that time there was. Yeah. So this population of heterosexual women... <laughs> I was gonna say, did they eat it up?
1: Well, go for it. Don't hold back, christy <laughs> If these entendres, double entendres, are coming out, let them flow.
0: I don't know where they're coming from. <laughs> My pervy brain. <laughs> so seriously, they they cottoned to it, right? They cottoned to your message.
1: <laughs> oh, they did. Yeah, absolutely. They were fascinated. Everybody wants to know where the G-spot is. And my PowerPoints told them. That's what a sex educator does. Is I took all the science. And I have four pages of science in the back of my book. All done in the 1980s, by the way. I'm just sitting there. So I made it easy for people to use this in their bedroom. and To understand it it works for them but that's me that's the talent and the effort that I brought to this research was the ability to
0: bring it to the people what kind of changes have you seen since you first got on that plane with forty dollars in your pocket so well like- this
1: is the 20- 2022 the year after uh two years which decimated the Workshop business. This is just
0: a cleanup job.
1: <laughs> Six months. <laughs>
0: Going to make up for lost time. Yeah, two years a, salvage, a salvage
1: job is what I want to say. So like a rusty car, trying to get it to move again down the road. And we managed, had a nice workshop in the spring. And the summer I just relaxed in England and had a good time personally. Visiting different places in England and Scotland and then went back into Europe in the fall. And that's when I did four workshops in a row. Now, normally I would have six. And they weren't as big. Right. But that's how you get it going again. So rebuilding.
0: Rebuilding. After all
1: these years, you know, 38 years. Getting older. Still. Dealing with this economy that just loves to decimate the creative business people, self-employed creatives, just loves to decimate us every 10 years, it seems. I'm still upset about the one that occurred in 2008.
0: <laughs> I, I don't think you're alone in that. <laughs> I suspect that you don't meet as now as much resistance about does the G-spot really exist? I bet you don't meet as much skepticism now as perhaps you did when you started.
1: That's very true, I don't. Because half the women now have learned where their G-spot is. They've learned how to female ejaculate. It really was like wildfire from the year, you know, 2004 through 2018. Female ejaculation was sweeping the bedrooms of the Western world and rising exponentially by the month. You know, women were learning. That's wonderful. So it is. It is. A, it's a huge change. Quick change.
0: And your book has been in print this whole time, which is really an amazing feat. That means people are buying it. They're still looking for information. They still want to know And there's generation after new generation coming up behind, you know, the original people who were curious about it.
1: But it's because I'm out there all the time. For example, the famous book, The G-Spot, that came out in 1982, that was the book responsible for putting the word G-Spot into our vernacular, into our language. Before that date, there was no word G-Spot. So forget trying to find it. This book sold 30 million copies, Wow! 23 languages. This was a powerhouse. That's why G-Spot is still known around the world as a term. But the book, today I ask people, how many of you have heard of the G-Spot book? Because I talk about it. No one raises their hand.
0: No one. They don't know, they don't remember that book.
1: Oh, and when I first did PowerPoint lectures in 2004 and 6 and 8, oh, two-thirds of the people, their hands would shoot up in the air. So for me to witness that in a generation, obscurity, complete blank out on history is terrifying.
0: I'm thinking of a couple different things here. One is these younger women who are coming up Half of whom seem to be committed to abstinence until they get married. <laughs> I suspect you don't meet too many of them, but I do wonder, you know, how their sex lives are going to unfold as they get older <laughs> and hit their sexual peaks. And wonder where it all went. I don't know. I don't mean again. Older the people that you mostly deal with.
1: They're 40 and up. Really? Mm -hmm.
0: So you're not getting the ones in their 30s and 20s. There's always
1: a few in every group.
0: Why do you think that is?
1: I think that for the 20-year-olds, I think the marketing and just, it's just not in their world. It's not in their coming across their plate, so to
0: speak, or their social media. Yeah. TikTok. and you get in, your TikTok in, yeah, camera a, going down.
1: Yeah, in a language and a format that's familiar to them, that excites them, which is what we did in 1984. Our format was exciting. It was new. And, you know, I used desktop publishing in 1985 on that thing <laughs> with Macs that were the size of a cracker box, right? So, you know, that was the hot stuff then. But you know, I don't even know what they're doing. So anyway, they just a few brave ones will find their way in. As for the women in their thirties, I think they're really busy with their career or raising the babies.
0: No time for. I think so. Sex ed, and so by the time they're forty, they're like, okay, yeah, <laughs> time for totally. me.
1: Time for me. Time for me and my sexuality, and it comes at midlife crisis. That's what I see in here all the time.
0: I do have a couple of questions. A lot of it we've already covered. Oh, do you think you'll ever quit? Do you? Oh, God. Do you? Do I think I will ever quit? Mm-hmm. Going around giving workshops and talks. I mean, you give talks too, right? Not just yes, workshops. The PowerPoint lecture
1: mm-hmm. is an evening, hour and a half presentation. Yes, open to the public. Mm-hmm i am giving cool. one now, finally, in Austria
0: oh. in the spring of 2023. Is that your first one in Austria?
1: Yes, we had not exactly. I had one 15 years ago. This is a big one. We had 40 people, and it was COVID, and that got shut down. So that hurt, but too bad. we're going to resurrect it. Great. That's mm-hmm.
0: great. So it'll be this coming spring? Mm -hmm. so your website is deborah sundell.com and that's where you put your events and what's forthcoming people can find yes on
1: my workshop page my Mm -hmm. lecture page they can find the dates there Mm -hmm. and there's links to my store or i have a shop you can also shop on there for these videos in my book and i have sex toy that i made an effective g-spot sex toy that's on there
0: what's that like what's the g-spot sex toy get a toy with a lip on it looks like a
1: penis lip so guys this is a renaissance for the penis listen up (laughs) forget the vibrator do not vibrate the g-spot it is a organ of the body it's a prostate Okay, nobody's died, but you know, let's not tax this organ any more than it's already been rammed at. And you know, slow down. That's what I teach: slow, slow, slow sex. I mean, see, there's so much to say about it. Do you see how I can talk easily an hour and a half?
0: Yeah, I see why so, your workshops are more than one evening or day. They're two, two three, and a half. Three days can barely fit it in three days. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So this is a podcast about uh, relocation, moving, travel and life transitions. And I think what we've been talking about is life transitions, because this is like life changing. Discovering your G-spot, discovering that me, me and my sexuality is life changing for women and per probably for men or their partners as well, right? I wondered if you, what what was on your horizon as you foresee continuing to maybe hit more secondary cities or go back and develop new audiences? I don't
1: feel drawn to any place outside of Europe. I really don't. Mm-hmm. Australia, yeah, I could see going there.
0: It sounds like you have a lot, I mean that there's still a whole lot of potential.
1: Totally.
0: And working this market that you have built up and watched knock down for a couple of years during the pandemic and building it up again, here we go, right?
1: Mm-hmm, right.
0: Yeah, with a new audience, with new audiences. Yes,
1: yes. I mean, it's becoming more and more mainstream. It's no longer niche
0: no longer a niche well maybe i mean (laughs) when we started it
1: we called it the sexual outlaws it was beyond underground the Mm -hmm. magazine on our backs and then it became a subculture which means you can find it on the internet (laughs) you know and now this is more than a subculture this is really good getting out in the main in the mainstream certain areas of the mainstream
0: Thank you for listening to Moving Along, a podcast about travel, relocation, and life transitions. If you like what you hear, please share and subscribe. You can find Moving Along wherever you listen. This show was edited by yours truly, Christy Cassidy. The music is by Eves Blue. If you have an idea for a show, contact me at Christy at movingalongpodcast.com till next time